millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I did some chaplaincy work for a very, very liberal liberal arts college. Mm -hmm. And you know, people go around in a circle you know, giving their pronouns. And I never once gave my pronouns. Mm -hmm. And if someone were to ask me, I was waiting for someone to confront me about it. No one ever did. Mm -hmm. If they were, I was ready. I say, I don't believe in giving pronouns. I don't believe I get to choose. Mm -hmm. And if you actually claim to believe in toleration, then you should tolerate my view, yes. which they don't. But yeah. that's, a that's a different thing, mm -hmm. you know? So we need to be ready to make these sacrifices. Many Muslims living in the West have become aware that the ideas of tolerance individualism and liberal multiculturalism, freedom of religion, all liberal notions have their limits when it comes to our community. A series of tensions from the depiction of the Messenger وسلم, in offensive cartoons and the teaching of sexual practices at odds with our faith in schools has brought into focus how there remains an incompatibility between the ever-increasing demands of the liberal state and the Muslim community. Now, to help us understand these tensions, I've asked Imam Tom Fakini, convert, who converted to Islam in 2010, to discuss how Muslims relate to the liberal state. Imam Tom finished his BA in political science and was, and was granted the opportunity to study at the Islamic University of Medina from 2015 to 2020, where he obtained his BA from the Faculty of Sharia. Imam Tom is currently the Research Director of Islam and Society at the Yaqeen Institute for Islamic Research. He is also the Resident Scholar and Imam of Utica Masjid in New York State. Imam Tom, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah and welcome to The Thinking Muslim. Wa alaikum assalamu wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's so wonderful to have you with us. And it's been some time. I've been thinking to invite you on to talk about this subject for some time. So really, jazakallah khair for being with us here in Istanbul. I mean, I'm always happy to be here and to be here together is even better. Fantastic. Well, let's start with what I call the liberal inquisition. Now, you're a prominent imam in the United States. Paint a picture of the tensions within your community that may come out of the demands that the liberal state places upon Muslims. Sure. After Bismillah, Alhamdulillah, Salatu Rasulillah. Um, you know, my community, I feel, um, first of all, I don't think I'm a prominent imam. I'm just, just an imam. 
Um, but I think our community is fairly unique. Um, I don't think that we feel as much of the rub or the force of the liberal state as, as other places do. Mm. That being said, um, there are definitely cracks or certain situations in which it comes about. Usually when it comes to do people get the opportunity to pray in schools? Right. Now, on the books, yes, that's a right that's guaranteed to people, and they have the constitutional right to avail themselves of that. Mm. Um, on the ground, the way in which that plays out is that the state and its, by extension, its sort of uh, tentacles, whether it's in the education you know, um, departments or what have you, are not strictly neutral. Right. Uh, there's a lot of sort of soft power that goes on that discourages children from praying. Mm -hmm. um, the same is true when it comes to getting holidays recognized. Um, even though, alhamdulillah, this year we did get a guarantee that Eid al-Fitr will be recognized as a school holiday locally right. for the following year, it's always something that needs to be negotiated. Um, but of course, the, the big thing on everybody's minds, being June, is the issues around sexuality and gender. Mm. Um, that's the real place where you see um, what about liberalism? Well, you see the mask comes off mm. for, for what liberalism sort of truly is, despite mm. its discourse as to what it would like people to think that it is Yes. Um, versus its true reality and also where it rubs up against sort of other ways of being, other metaphysics, other ontologies, Islam, when it rubs up against sort of what Islam calls us to do and calls us to be. Mm. So you have even the issue of pronouns. Right. right, right. You have, and from the the, the quote-unquote progressive perspective, what's the harm in it? Right. Mm. You say, you know, tell me what your pronouns are, and right. we're going to go around a circle, and everybody says what their pronouns are. Yeah. Um, and yet, to be asked, even in the first place, uh, rests upon a certain metaphysics that is very counter to Islam. Basically, they've set up a, a thought experiment and a situation that is a trap. You're damned if you do. You're damned if you don't. Mm. If you say. Or I say, yes, my pronouns are, are he, him. Hmm. I've implicitly recognized that I have the ability to choose, right. which completely violates Islamic belief and completely violates you know, um, normative Islam, what, what we should be aspiring to. So those are the sorts of situations. And then obviously the things that get taught into class, in classrooms about you know, your relationship to your body, your relationship to your desires, hmm. um, how you should, you basically have a moral imperative to not only act on your desires, but to celebrate them, to identify with them, and to you know uh, derive your self worth from the expression of these desires. Mm. Um, that's liberalism, <laughs> and obviously that's all very, very counter to everything that Islam is about. Mm. Um, so uh, that's just a, a preview, I think. Yeah, and I note that you've studied uh, political science at university. You did your BA in political science mm -hmm. in in the states before you started on your traditional uh, scholarship journey at Medina University. So let's discuss liberalism. Uh, many Muslims may still be under the impression that liberalism allows you to be who you want to be. Why is the liberal state demanding so much from Muslims? Yeah, there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, first of all, the key to how you phrase the question that shows us the answer is that you said the liberal state, okay? Mm. Because liberalism is one thing, it's an ideology, but when you, when you bring into the conversation the liberal state, you're giving recognition to the fact that the ideology is nothing without force right. in order to make it, to instantiate it, to make it real, mm. right? To make it concrete. Um, and so there's sort of an ideological element to liberalism, which has suppositions, but it also has a 
sort of discourse that mm. is very, you know, appealing to people, right? Yeah. It, it talks about certain uh, values that it has, and it it presents a smiling face right. to people when it comes to what it has to believe. But the devil in the details is that it always requires the state to recognize those values and enforce them and mm. to protect them against other sort of forces that would um, that would challenge those values. Okay. And so uh, when it comes to why Muslims in particular, there's a couple of reasons. First of all, because there is something very fundamental to Islam that contradicts the basis of liberalism, and that is the autonomy versus submission divide, right? Liberalism, if you want to summarize it in one word, it's all about autonomy. Right. It's all about being able to do what you want, or as you said in the question, to be what you want, which mm. is kind of a, a, an ideological extension of that. Yeah. Um, whereas Islam is literally means submission. Okay. So that implies some of the time not doing what you want. It actually implies uh, subordinating your desires mm. to some sort of external regime of values that's not derived from what you feel. Yeah. And then actually the goal, the, like the imperative of Islam is to bring your internal desires in line and in conformity with those values, which is totally illiberal, <laughs> unliberal, anti-liberal yes. project. Yeah. Um, so that's just one. That's just one thing. There, there's more real politic and, and sort of um, current events issues. What has to do with sort of what the state perceives as its enemies, its existential enemies, and yeah. obviously 9/11 and afterwards the war on terror, things like that. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Islam and Muslims are sort of you know, looked at with a suspicious eye, a potential fifth column, things like that. Yeah. But there's something that's more interesting, which um, which has to do with the ways in which Islam has not yet been secularized, right? Which puts Muslims in particular the crosshairs of uh, of liberalism. So explain that. What, what do you mean by Islam has not been secularized? Yes, exactly. So, you know, every sort of ideology, as we said, relies on a, a certain wielding or use of power, deployment of power in order to bring about its objectives. Yeah. So liberalism relies on the state, okay, yes, but not just the state, there's also secularization. Okay. Secularization is the force that makes other value systems able to be governed and participate, quote unquote, within yeah. liberal society. Right. So once Christianity, for example, has been sufficiently secularized, it can participate in liberal society. You imagine sort of like cutting a cloth, okay? Mm. It's like there's a certain amount of the cloth that liberalism is willing to keep, mm. right? And then there's other things that are outside that it is not willing to keep. And so mm. you have to go through this shearing process right. if you're going to be granted uh, legitimacy and equal participation within the system. Yeah, This is the complaint of all the sort of quote-unquote Islamophobes, and I don't necessarily like the discourse of Islamophobia. I think it's problematic. Mm. But it gets at something that's true and real is that people, you know, they, they complain that Islam is not compatible with modernity or Islam is not compatible with liberalism. Yes. And in a way, they're right. It's true when, it, when we talk about values, mm. right? Not that I don't belong in the United States of America, not that I don't belong in 2023, yeah. right? But when we're talking about what are liberal values, liberal values value autonomy and sort of, again, all this sort of constellation of how you relate to your desires and how you should bring them about. And if you don't, you're sort of living this conflicted existence and maybe you're going to fall into depression or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, Islam is not those values. Islam is something completely other than that. And it has not yet undergone the secularization forces completely. It's in, it's in progress and we're trying to fight it. Yeah. But Christianity has been thoroughly secularized. You look at, in America, we have some um, sects of Christianity that are quite, um, let's say, 
fringe, yeah. such as the Amish. Right. Okay, so the Amish have, have done something and other groups like them where they have resisted the forces of secularization. But look at the cost, right? The, the cost is that they are not given um, participation in society. Mm. They're, they're invisible mm. when it comes to the world stage, except for, you know, occasionally they run some sort of uh, TV series where it's like sort of like, oh, a freak show. Look at them. They're so weird, mm. right? So this is an example of, of a group that has attempted to resist secularization, mm. has for the most part succeeded in that, um, but it demonstrates the costs as well. Right. So the big chess match that's going on is, okay, liberals and people who are, you know, acting in the favor or in the interest of the liberal state are attempting to secularize Islam and Muslims, which is why they have an interest. They're not neutral, mm. right? And that's the key point. They're not neutral on what type of Muslim you are. They are what type of, mu type of Muslim I am. We mm. have the RAND report. We have, you know, all these sorts of things that indicate that the government is invested in producing, and this is why secularism also lies to the people with the face it presents, right? By saying that it's about separation of church and state. Yeah. No, it's about producing a certain type of re acceptable religiosity. Acceptable to whom? Acceptable to the liberal state. Um, so, you know, that's why the government has an interest in saying, well, we want a certain um, progressive Islam or a moderate Islam. And we're going to throw money at this group and this group and Muslims for progressive values and all these sorts of things. Yeah. Like they, they deliberately are trying to create a certain type of Muslim, a certain type of Islam um, that is fully subjectable, or we should say um, uh, able to be subordinated, right. right? And able to be governed and managed in the way that a liberal modern state expects to be able to govern and, and manage. Yeah, that, that's interesting. I mean, of course, liberals would argue, well, uh, what we call for is a very slimmed down version of, of uh, uh, human existence. We believe in a form of universalism that everyone can sign up to. Mm -hmm. uh, we believe in a state that remains neutral uh, and, and doesn't make, doesn't side with any of the key decisions of what human beings would regard to be uh, a choice uh, to fulfill the, the, you know, life's, to fulfill the, the, um, the good life, right? Yeah. To, to, to get to a stage in their life where uh, uh, the state does not favor one side or the other, but actually stands as a, as a neutral arbiter. You're right. arguing that yeah. there is nothing neutral about liberalism. Right. Explain that to me. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, no, there is no such thing as neutrality. Right. Not even, not even the fact that liberalism is not neutral, that yeah. neutrality can't possibly exist because all of the terms that you mentioned, being a human, mm. what is good, mm. what is life, Right. You have to have a certain conception and definition of what those things are. Yeah. And there's going to be a certain metaphysics that underguards or undergirds, excuse me, um, your definition of those things. Okay. Right. Recently, I, I gave a talk about human rights um, at ICNA, uh, and my point was everybody, their attention goes to the rights part of human rights, mm. and they forget about the human part of human rights. Right. Because actually, how you define what a human being is is going to completely determine what rights you think they're entitled to. Right. Right. So when it comes to what type of human does the liberal ideology or the liberal state imagine? Mm. It is a secular, de materialistic definition of a human being. Right. They assume, as, as a metaphysical stance, that a real human being has only a material existence, that they don't have an afterlife, that there is no God, sure. that you know, there is no moral right or wrong in the, the thick sense of morality that, mm. that, you know, um, that faith teaches. Yes. Um, and so... Everything else is seen as dispensable, disposable, separatable, mm. right? Which is exactly where that's the power move, right? To be able to define what is essential and what is not essential 
is exactly where liberal power exists. Yes. Um, so that's not neutral, right? Like I'm saying that God exists. We have, there's heaven and hell. We have an afterlife. Um, and that totally determines in the example of human rights, what rights I think I'm entitled to. Mm. Um, and it also it also determines what I think of as good. Somebody who thinks that there is no afterlife, this is the only thing that they have, right? And so that's where you get, you know, materialists are much more concerned about um, autonomy and 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 free choice and pursuing um, pleasure and these sorts of things because it's a very maximalist disposition towards this life yeah. um, because that's all they have, right? That's downstream from their idea of what human life is, what is a human and what is life. Yeah. Somebody who believes in an afterlife, they believe in heaven and hell, you know, we're willing to be patient in this life and deprive ourselves and discipline ourselves in this life because we know that there's something after, yeah. right? And that that creates a whole different conversation around rights and what I think I'm entitled to. I'm not entitled any longer to do whatever I want and to experience whatever I want to experience or to act on every single pleasure or act on every single desire that comes my way because I believe that I'm not living for this life. I'm living for something that's beyond and I believe in a deity that I actually my success, ultimate success, mm. depends upon my conformity to the regime of values and instructions and prohibitions and et cetera, mm. obligations that are imposed by that deity. I mean, give me, give me an example of a right that liberalism gives you, which you would contest to be not really a, a valid right in, in Islam. Oh, sure. I mean, uh, you know, everything around sexuality that people mm. are talking about these days, mm -hmm. right? The idea, quote unquote, love is love, right? Okay. There's no better slogan for liberal ideas towards sexuality than, yes. than love is love. Yeah. The, the subtext and the idea behind that is that love is something supposedly so sacred. Mm. Um, and again, that's shaped by our definition of what is a human being. Human beings are material. Yes. Okay. They're not, there's no soul. There is no God. There is no afterlife. So they say. So your fulfillment is limited to this world. Mm. Um, what are the things that are going to achieve satisfaction and fulfillment in this only life that you have? Yeah. Um, the most sacred thing to you, the most natural sort of inseparable thing to you is your sexuality, mm. right? And so therefore, if you have sexual desires, your sense of fulfillment and satisfaction and even sort of um, completion as a human being, right? As a, as a willful autonomous agent is to act on them and satisfy them. Yeah. Right. And so that's where we get the idea of identifying with your desires. And now you have a whole identity that's sort of based upon who you're attracted to or what you're attracted to or whatever. Right. And to deny yourself, right, the exercise of that desire and of that want, mm. it, you live like a damned life. You're, you're existent, you're, you got cognitive dissonance and you're probably going to fall into depression and you might kill yourself and, you know, all these sorts of things. Right. Mm. So this is the, the antithesis of what it is to be liberal, yeah. right? Self-denial in this type of way. Right. That's interesting. I mean, I, I, I'm still trying to understand um, the tensions that exist between the Muslim community on the one hand and the liberal state on the other. Um, so, so, for example, in Europe, I mean, that's my reality. We have got uh, a situation where Muslim parents, say in France, are denied the right to teach their children at home. It's now compulsory yes. mm -hmm. uh, to 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 uh, to send your your child to state school because lots of Muslims were withdrawing their kids mm -hmm. from uh, basic education, from state education, because they fe they feared the liberal state and and its incursion into the lives of ordinary Muslims. Mm -hmm. uh, mosques have been shut down uh, across Europe, and again, very notably in France, charities have been closed down. Now, how do we reconcile? these actions with the professed 
uh, notion of toleration that is also fundamental to liberalism. I mean, John Locke talked right. about toleration as, as a fundamental liberal virtue. Is it that liberals have forsaken some of their values or is there something more, is there something intrinsic within liberalism that, that I don't know, um, that limits uh, how much toleration they can offer to other communities? I mean, I think that there's something always limited in tolerance or toleration that's just inherent, um, whether it's liberalism or otherwise. Liberalism right. is simply the only ideology that pretends to have an absolute notion of toleration, right. or at least maybe not in, in theoretical book liberalism, but at least how it's perceived within, within the culture. Ah. Um, and so when it comes to, yeah, tolerating others, you have to realize that, well, what are the bounds? What are the parameters of toleration? Hmm. Um, it's never absolute. It can't possibly be absolute yeah. because the, that would be self-defeating. Can a liberal state tolerate groups that want to destroy the state? Yeah. No, absolutely not. You know, that's why there's counterterrorism, quote unquote. That's why there's the FBI, and the CIA, MI6, right? All these org organs yeah. that are supposed to identify threats and truly existential threats, even though they cast their net much broader than that, hmm. um, in order to mitigate this sort of potential threat. So mm -hmm. toleration is never an absolute. There's always bounds. So, uh, and, and the shifting of the question to uh, black or white, yes or no, is an ideological move, right? To get you to feel warm fuzzies about liberalism because mm -hmm. liberalism is about tolerance and this other thing is intolerant. <laughs> tolerance and intolerance. Oh, who, if, you, if that's your choice, then of course everyone's gonna choose tolerance. Yeah. Who, what kind of jerk would choose intolerance? Mm -hmm. But that's not really what's going on, really. And uh, Talal Esad says this very well. He says that it's not merely an increase in freedom or an increase in tolerance. It's merely a different pattern of constraint. Mm. Right. So, what are the the patterns, or what are the values upon which we're constraining people? Right. Right. What's shaping our? What are our criteria for who we're going to tolerate and who we aren't going to tolerate? Yeah. That's where the secularization piece comes in, because mm. liberalism, yes, will tolerate any religion or faith or whatever that has been secularized. Mm. Okay. Once it has shed those parts of it that the liberal state deems as existentially threatening, either the personality of the state. And that doesn't even have to be the literal state itself. It could be even the, the personality of the state, which is what France does. Hmm. Any sort of thing that expresses, that is contrary to the, the French essence, yes. right? Like that's the ideas. It's not an literally like challenging to overthrow the government, yeah. but it's the idea that it's challenging the personality of the state. Right. That will not be tolerated. It can't be tolerated. And so it needs to go through the secularization process in order to gain entry into the arena of tolerance, right? So if you're being tolerated, it's already too late. In that, in that sense, there would be some Muslims who argue that, well, maybe that's a price worth paying. Um, we are uh, maybe first generation, second generation in Europe, in America, maybe even possibly third generation Muslims. But in order to make a home in the West, because the Muslim world is is so chaotic, mm -hmm. uh, we are going to have to compromise somewhat with the liberal state. I mean, how would you respond to 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 that? compromise that naturally the liberal state seeks from citizens uh, who seek a better economic and mm -hmm. social life. Yeah, there's a, there's a gradient, right? So there's always sort of like a, there are degrees of compromise and mm. some might be justifiable and others certainly are not, okay. right? So when we it, talk about the extent to which I'm talking about, we're saying um, the state comes in and produces the religion such that We've lost what Islam is, right? Right, uh, and that's why some people have said that 
you know, Muslims are between a rock and a hard place because the right, the political right wants to wipe out Muslims and the political left wants to wipe out Islam, yeah. right? And so there, if you allow the secularization process to go unchecked, if you fully submit to it, if that's your idea of what compromise looks like, there will be no Islam left. Yeah. You won't necessarily realize it. You will call it Islam. Mm. You will think that you're living Islam. Mm. But in fact, it's been chopped up. It's been rearranged. It's just sort of, you know, whether it's, if, if Christianity, for example, is any sort of analog, yeah. it will be limited to private worship and, you know, private belief. And it we ditch a lot of the fiqh that has to do with building society and, and justice and, and inheritance and these sorts of things. Mm. You know, they would all sort of become released to, you know, what the state deems. Yeah. Um, that's not the only compromise that's possible to be made. That's like sort of on the, the far side. Right. Like there are other compromises that might be more justifiable, such as even to, um, to you know, to to accept citizenship in the first place ah. is a type of compromise. Yes. Right. Like they they say make you promise that you're never going to you know raise arms. You're going to be politically loyal and you're going to do this and you're going to that. Mm. You know that's a political compromise that might be more justifiable depending on on the situation. Mm. Uh, for me, I don't have to think about those things because I was born in the United born, States, yeah. so yeah. I never had to go through a citizenship test and have my you know uh, you know swearing of allegiance or things like that. Mm. Um, but merely living in the West. You know, there's enough space, at least I can talk from the American context, the United States, there's enough space to maneuver where you can live and actually establish Islam to some extent yeah. um, and hold on to it as it truly is, mm. right? And not in some sort of post-secularized version yeah. um, without necessarily going to the, you know, uh, to the extent where we're going to, to compromise at that level. Is that space narrowing, especially in the democratic run states? Yeah, so it differs. So definitely, I mean, and, and it takes it takes priorities and it takes sacrifices. So right. I'll say that if your if your modus operandi is to come to the United States and you want to have both spouses work and have salaried incomes, and you want to send the kids to public school, and you want to, you're probably going to lose Islam. That's just statistics. Subhanallah, really? Yeah, pretty much. I really? mean, uh, that's my opinion, and, and yeah. I'm I haven't been proven wrong yet. Yeah. Um, you know, we're talking about you. Because also what happens is that people choose where they live. Yeah. So and and the the criteria upon which people are basing their decisions are not Islamic or moral criteria. They're right. you know what's the the best school district or what's the you know the the richest neighborhood or or the nicest neighborhood or whatever. Mm. They don't care about their neighbors. They don't care about being close to the masjid. They don't mm. care about these sorts of things. Yeah. Um. And so if that's your process of decision making, then it's just a matter of time, honestly, until mm. Islam is gone. But no one's forcing you to do that, right? right? You can exist in the United States and you can choose to live next to the masjid or close to the masjid. You can choose to be in a neighborhood. Maybe it doesn't have the best school district, but you know that you have a critical mass of Muslim culture, yeah. a critical mass of Muslim playmates for your kids, uh, potential spouses for your kids in the future, mm -hmm. things like this. And, th and then there's institutions and being on the ground level and building these institutions, mm -hmm. whether they're medrasas or, you know, Islamic schools or even the programs that run out of the masjid. I was just talking to a good friend of mine and um, he said that when it comes to his son is 17 mm. and he has um, sort of through the mosque, there's this organization called YM that does a lot of like youth programming and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, but he does go to public school. Mm. And so he, <laughs> he was joking to me. He said he has friends that are, Anthony and Carlos and whatever at public school. Yeah. And, you know, those can be Muslim names. I'm not saying, I'm not making that point here, but yes. in this situation, they're not Muslims. Yes. And then he has friends through the mosque. And then so he's communicated to his son, those friends that you have at school, they are only your friends when you're in school. Mm. You're not hanging out with them outside of school. Mm. 
You're not going over their houses on the weekdays. You're not going to the mall with them. Your real friends that you're going to have are the friends of the mosque. Right. And in fact, that's what he's done. And he's had very, he's had a lot of success. Okay. So it takes this type of intentionality, right? And we suffer as Muslims and as Muslim parents from a lack of intentionality when it yeah. comes to the decisions that we make and forethought and planning um, to be able to survive and not survive physically. We're, we're, we're good with that. And of course, liberals will see that as overbearing parenting and, you know, this is going against the autonomy of, of the child, right? Um, yeah, that, that's really interesting. I mean, actually, tell me something about, I, I'm, I'm intrigued with what you said there, because in the UK, we have got second, third generation Muslims. Mm -hmm. But by and large, mm -hmm. Muslims who went to state schools, majority of Muslims have, you know, been through the state school system. They remained Muslims. Mm -hmm. And yes, there may be different grades and Allah knows best. There may be different grades of, you know, of, mm -hmm. of practicing Muslims. Mm -hmm. But generally speaking, we don't really have an epidemic Mm. of apostasy mm -hmm. as as i'm not sure if, if i don't want to put words in your mouth but it seems like you know from generation to generation we could be losing people in in the united states I think a quarter i think the stats say is a, that a so? quarter of, wow. of muslims um will not be muslims by the really? time they're adults yes that's amazing really it is it's staggering so what's the difference what's it? i mean these are both liberal states yes. these are both they both have very assertive programs to <laughs> sure. secularize and to liberalize their citizens mm -hmm, yet mm -hmm. The American experience is far more successful for the liberal state than, yes. say, the British experience. Right. Any ideas? Off off the cuff, I mean, I would assume that maybe Muslim populations are probably more concentrated mm, in, in the UK. For sure. And so yeah. there's always going to be, um, you know, uh, counterculture. Yes. Right. And, and here's another thing, too. And, and we were talking about this uh, off camera about the different sort of socioeconomic um, you know, True. identity or, or background of the populations. Yeah. You know, we have everything in the United States, but... Um, when it comes to economic migrants, especially that are of an upper class, they, mm. they tend to be more interested in assimilation. Mm. They tend to be um, have more dunyawi goals, yeah. right? And so those sorts of things, right? If you have isolation, okay, um, parents literally make the choice between, especially in our area, between putting their child in a, a much poorer school district, yeah. Yeah. Um, but with a significant Muslim population. Uh, and that has, you know, even some teachers that are Muslims mm. and has a a sort of a, a Muslim camaraderie, mm. right? That is a, a, not a complete inoculation, but something that is significantly maybe blunts the damage or the the in the um, the reach of of the logic of the state and that state education and things yeah. like that. Yeah. Versus right across the border adjacent is a suburb that is way wealthier, school system is m rated much higher, mm -hmm. um, and your child will be the only Muslim in the class. Wow, okay. Um, and if your child is the only Muslim in the class for nine, 10 out of 12 grades, you can imagine the psychological damage and mm. the ideological damage that this does to a person. Mm. Um, that's my my hot take, but- um, No, I, th I think I think that's, that's it's probably quite accurate, actually. And you're right, in, in the UK and in France, Muslims tend to live together mm. and they tend to live in very concentrated communities. And as you can't avoid Muslims, and as you said, in state schools, you have a high concentration of Muslims. I'm thinking of Birmingham and Bradford. Mm. I think I sure. talked to you about Bradford uh, the other day, which is an extension of Pakistan, really, rather than, rather than uh, England. Let me ask you a question about, so we've talked so far about the liberal state. Mm -hmm. Now, in the context of the United States, the yeah. word liberal is reserved for progressives, for mm -hmm. the Democrats. Mm -hmm. How do we see the Republicans vis-a-vis -vis liberalism? Yes. 
No, that's a good question. And and it comes back to kind of a historical point about like capital L liberalism versus lowercase L okay. liberalism. So but it's 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 revealing because the progressive conservative split or Democrat, Republic, whatever have you, yeah. um, reveals a, a significant tension within liberalism, or at least in liberalism's relationship with the state. Okay. Because liberalism as an ideology is predicated upon autonomy. Mm. And autonomy is about choosing what you want to do, mm. doing whatever you want, etc. Mm. Or we could say, to be more precise, removing the barriers that might encroach or limit your, your choices. Okay. Um, or force you to choice something, God mm. forbid. Yeah. Um, however... For human life and satisfaction, it's not merely enough to be able to do what you want. You, first of all, rely upon the state and the violence of the state, the force of the state, its laws, its police, its, its judges, whatever, mm. to be able to make those choices in the first place, right. to guarantee that space, to carve out that space where you're able to exercise that autonomy. Mm. But then in another sense, you also rely upon the state and its violence and everything else in order to recognize you in some of your decisions and your free choices. And mm. so we see this with sexuality and we see this with the quote unquote LGBT, mm. quote unquote community. Mm. For them, it's not enough to just simply exercise their autonomy in the sense of doing what they want in the bedroom, yeah. right? Or you wanna call yourself anything you want, any pronoun, any name, whatever, that's yeah. not enough. Right. They want to force recognition. They want to be not just identify, which is their buzzword, mm. they want to be identified, right? They want to be identifiable. They want other people to identify how they identify them as. You can't do this without the state, yes. right? So the progressive conservative split mirrors this sort of tension. So the progressive idea is that, you know, um, we need to be identifiable in order to have this sort of human satisfaction. Mm. It's not merely enough to choose the thing that I want. I actually depend upon others and the recognition of others to be, you know, satisfied in that choice. Whereas conservatives, conservatives are more along the line of leave me alone, I will pursue my own happiness and do it in the way that I want. And I don't necessarily, I'm not as invested in, in or at least let's say we can, we can pinpoint the idea of what is good, right? So the emphasis of what is good for a conservative is less dependent upon recognition from others, right? right? Whereas the definition of what is good or what is fulfilling or satisfactory or whatever for progressives is much more dependent upon uh, the recognition from others. Right. And so therefore relies upon the force of the state in a much thicker way uh, than conservatives do. But they both accept autonomy as a very basic liberal Exactly, so and that's you what would, makes them both liberal. They're both liberal, yes. right. Okay, that's that's really interesting because of course in the US context, we can easily say the liberals are the Democrats in New York and not, yes. you know, Ron DeSantis in Florida or right. whoever, right? Most so, people, they associate liberalism, not with the classical ideology. Yeah. Uh, they associate it with the current sort Political of democratic parties. progressivist. Right. Okay. That's that's really important. So there is a stark difference between, having said that, between New York and California on the one hand and Florida and Texas on the other. So Ron DeSantis, governor of, uh, of uh, Florida, has banned gender identity discussions mm -hmm. in schools and uh, has censored a number of books in uh, public state schools and has banned, you know, critical race theory. That's debatable whether that's w what that is, and, mm -hmm. but they've banned it. Um, explain this to me. What, what's going on here? Well, politically, you know, the United States is a federation of states, mm. right? So we have something that's fairly unique, unique, I think, in that the state is not as centralized mm. um, as other liberal states. Mm. And so there is some room for the manifestation of the different types of liberalism right on the state level yeah um and as again we were, we were discussing earlier there's sort of um things become uh, 
a major deal and derive a lot of attention or, or attract a lot of attention when they try to cross over from the state to the federal level. Mm. So you'll see all sorts of things that are approved at the state level. Yeah. Um, but then to make it a national thing that now everybody on, across the board has to, that's why Roe versus Wade was such a big deal. Right. That's why repealing it was such a big deal. Yes. Um, you know, Repealing it didn't do anything except kick it back to the states. Mm. Now, once again, it's a state issue and not a federal issue. Yes. Um, and uh, the same thing with 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 uh, you know quote unquote gay marriage right in in 2015 what was so there there were states that recognized gay marriage before that um, however it was not a federal issue right it was raised to the level of the national government it was approved and then everybody has to fall in line and conform yeah. um, so that's kind of structurally what's going on is that the that arrangement allows for the different manifestations of the different emphases of what are we what are we saying is good here what's yeah. what's the good life what's the the you know, where is human satisfaction found? Um, and the Republican states put more of an emphasis on government getting out of the way. Again, that's a caveat. It's a simplification, not always, but mm -hmm. in general, mm -hmm. um, suspicion towards the government getting involved in anything. Mm. Um, basic assumption being that when they get involved in something, they're going to ruin it <laughs> or do it less efficiently or yes. et cetera, yeah. um, versus sort of the progressive emphasis on good being, uh, you know, uh, some sort of, proactive social justice agenda that re re relies on people recognizing certain values and, and enshrining certain recognitions of, of identities and things like that, yeah. that um, goes for a much more aggressive and muscular sort of, uh, you know, government intervention. Is the U.S. Constitution a liberal constitution? Yes, it is, in the, in the classical sense of what that means, in that right. it's focused on autonomy, you yeah. have the, you know, freedom of life, uh, liberty, life, and the pursuit of happiness, or however it's written, yeah. right? You see, you know, the idea of the Bill of Rights, um, the right to your own property, the right to the freedom of speech and the freedom of religion. All these things are based on liberalism, you know, when it comes to the political ideolo ideology of what liberalism is. Right. Okay. That, that That's, again, interesting because, of course, when we, in political science, when we consider the U.S. Constitution, we always uh, pair it up with neutral. It's a neutral constitution. You know, it, it's, it seeks to create a level playing field between its citizens. Your argument is that it, it isn't. It is very... It wasn't possible, even from yeah. the beginning. And there's descriptive historical reasons for why that's, that can't be true, hmm. right? Such as, you know, the slavery issue and, mm. and you know, three-fifths clause and yeah. things like that. Yeah. Like, and then women's suffrage and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, definitely not, um, let's say, a... Um, completely faithful or logically coherent maybe manifestation of of liberalism's sort of tenets but then again when liberalism was first formulated they weren't thinking about those things when yeah. Locke was talking he wasn't thinking about slaves or africans or yeah. african descendants he wasn't thinking about women yeah right and so that that was no contradiction to them hmm. um they were thinking about all of these things in parentheses and that should also you know add to our discussion of tolerance and toleration as to what a limited and narrow thing that we're actually talking about when we're talking about liberal tolerance yeah um but yeah i mean strictly speaking yeah it's it's not neutral i mean everything again if you use the word human being yeah you have to have an implicit understanding of what is a human being sure you have to make metaphysical claims whether they're explicit or, or implicit hmm. about what are we doing here? What's the purpose of human life? Yeah. Where do we get satisfaction from? Yeah. What does it mean to live a good life? What is the good, right? Um, what is the relationship between the government and, and people in, in realizing that good, right. right? Many of those assumptions, except for the last one that I just mentioned, you know, liberalism has called wahid, right? It has like one, <laughs> one statement on those things and mm -hmm. it's not particularly broad. It's not universal, definitely not universal. It's yeah. not... Um, you know, it's actually very controversial and it's very narrow and it, it has very specific claims yeah. that 
any conscientious Muslim would say, wait a second, uh, that's actually not what I believe, mm. right? Even though, okay, that's the political regime that we live under and now we have to negotiate rights within that matrix and things like that, that's a separate issue. But if we were in an Aqidah class or a situation where you're asked as a Muslim, do you believe in A or do you believe in B? And A is liberalism and the liberal idea of what a human being is and there's no afterlife, there's no God, or maybe there's a God, but we're not gonna really talk about that right here. You can talk about it in the church or in the mosque or whatever, versus no, we believe that the Sharia is the best system for human beings mm. through all times and all places, mm. no concerns. We believe that there is only one God and to worship anything other than Allah is shirk and you're in danger in the afterlife. And mm. all these sort of prescriptive normative beliefs that we have, right? Muslims will choose B, mm. inshallah. If you're, inshallah. If you're a conscientious Muslim, you should be choosing the latter. Yes. However, your politically navigated day-to-day -day life, if you're living in a place that's under a liberal regime, then you have to navigate and you have to appeal for your rights and get out your, just like the, the mashayikh and the ulama, they, they talk about the situation of bribery, mm. right? Is that there are, bribery is haram, okay? But if you can't achieve your right, you can't get your right except by paying a bribe, then, okay, it becomes halal for you and you have to do it actually, in order to get your right. Okay, we don't believe in these liberal values. We don't believe in the idea, the liberal idea of a human being, the idea of the ontology, of the afterlife, the cosmology, all these things. Mm. Yet here we are, we find ourselves under a liberal regime, and that's the only matrix in, within which we can obtain our legal rights, and so that's what we have to refer to. Yeah, that, again, so, um, you know, what you described there is is the practical life that a Muslim leads. Now, let's talk about the practice then of Muslims. Um, mm. You know, you could work under an employer who is gay. Right. You could be a teacher or a lecturer at university. And inevitably, you're going to have to accept that there are social norms in the, the classroom, in the lecture theater, that in some on some level, you're going to have to acquiesce to. Otherwise, mm -hmm. you, you'll be sacked from your, from your mm -hmm. job, as we found with a number of lecturers in recent right. months and years who have been sacked for, for even voicing the most mildest objections to you know, gender pronouns, for example. So mm -hmm. how much, what is, where are the red lines? Yes. How much should a, a Muslim acquiesce with the demands, the current demands, let's put it like that, of mm -hmm. the liberal state? Well, let's put it this way. We should be thankful that the liberal state still uh, doesn't banish us or kick us out, or it's mm. not a crime uh, to deny these sorts of things. So yeah. obviously, you know, and, and the ulama and the mashayikh, they talk about this when they talk about what is darura, like what is like a true necessity. Yeah. And they define it by life and limb. Okay. Right? Life and limb situation. And we're right? nowhere near that. We're nowhere near that. Right. Alhamdulillah. So actually the situation calls for courage and it calls yeah. for moral bravery yeah. and sacrifice, to be honest. It's like, you know, it, I, I did some chaplaincy work for a very, very liberal, liberal arts college. Mm. And you know, people go around in a circle you know, giving their pronouns. And I never once gave my pronouns. <laughs> and if someone were to ask me, I was waiting for someone to confront me about it. No one ever did. Mm. If they were, I was ready. I say, I don't believe in giving pronouns. I don't believe I get to choose. Mm. And if you actually claim to believe in toleration, then you should tolerate my view, yes. which they don't. But yeah. that's, a that's a different thing, mm. you know? So we need to be ready to make these sacrifices. Now, if you're in a situation, alhamdulillah, I'm in a situation where I've hedged in various directions. And so I'm not dependent on that for, mm. you know, my, my income and things like that. If you're in a situation where you're completely dependent upon that, then you might need to have a sequential plan of how to get in a, in a certain situation where you're able to live according to your beliefs, yeah. right? Maybe um, if something's going to get you fired, then maybe you start looking for another job, mm. you know, before necessarily causing a scene and things like that. Mm. But I do think, you know, the Mufti always has to take into account the situation where people are and seeing 
are people leaning too far to this side or too far to that side? Mm -hmm. If we were leaning too much towards belligerence, then I would maybe tell people, hey guys, let's pump the brakes. Let's, you know, like- Why? Why? You know, isn't that Amr bin Ma'ruf or Nahil Munkar? Isn't that being, you know, brave, as you said? Well, it can be, but mm. it's, it's often not, right? Because right. we have to consider, you know, it, it put our dawah hats on for a second. Mm -hmm. And you have to, you know, um, if you cause a scene and you don't necessarily even, you're not doing dawah, you're just sort of having this chest thumping moment mm. um, where you're not really addressing the underlying concerns, right? Consider that the da'wah of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was all founded upon trust, Yes, right? He was known as Al-Amin. Mm. That was his nickname. Uh, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala references in the Quran and Surah Al-A'raf mm. that your people know you, you grew up with them. So the level of responsibility and duty that those people had to respond to that call is is just, you know, 100%. That, that's their duty. They have to. And if they're not, they're liars. They're mm. insincere. They're phony. Right, they're hypocrites and kidding themselves. Mm -hmm. You at your job, you know, or me at my job, you know, if we're okay, uh, we haven't reached that level of trust, perhaps, and maybe we are just kind of awkward and we don't have relationships and, and things like that. Um, we're in a weaker position, right, when it when it comes to that. So the situation doesn't call for grandstanding, right? Okay, um, it it you should be principled, one hundred percent, always be principled, never don't be principled. But you need to, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says elsewhere in the Quran, you know, argue with that which is better, right? And mo'idha hasana, right? With, with you know, beautiful speech and good speech. Mm. And so if someone comes to you, right, and they don't understand, they're ignorant, they think that this is justice. Yeah. They think that in their world that this is toleration, that this is like the best possible thing, yeah. right? And there are people that are legitimately shocked when you explain to them that this actually completely excludes me. This actually completely violates my beliefs. Mm. And I refuse to, I refuse to go along with it. You know, um, there are some people that are ignorant enough to be like, wow, you're the first person to tell me that. Hmm. So we have a moral duty to be that first person, right? And that's why I say, you know, rather than necessarily, you know, if we had a problem with being belligerent, then I would suggest people to maybe tone it down and be the opposite. But we have, the reality is that we have the opposite problem. True. We have people that are exhibiting cowardice mm. um, in these moments mm. and not taking into a, a account the intergenerational effects and the psychological effects, mm. right? Um, we need we need people to, make, to take a stand. We need people to say that it's not a crime to believe in what I believe. And, uh, you know, if it were a crime, then we would need to address that too, but it's not right now. It's not a crime. Mm. And so I believe this. There's only two genders. That marriage is this. You know, this is what it means to be a man. This is what it means to be a woman. And to ask me to, to capitulate to anything else is morally wrong, and I'm not going to do it. And if that requires me leaving my job, then I'll do it. You know, Allah is the provider. Um, so that's where we're at. We're, we're too much on this side. And so I encourage the people to try to be as brave as possible while being respectful, be principled, be respectful, and try to communicate clearly that this is something that we are never going to sign off on. But that, that does require a certain level of communication skills. It requires a discourse which yes. maybe is missing <clears throat> within the Muslim communities. I mean, what, you're an imam of a mosque. How much is it your responsibility, mm -hmm. uh, as well as all of us, but your responsibility to explain to Muslims how to courteously yes. be brave? Oh, definitely. And that's why we rely on leadership. And that's why documents like the Navigating Differences document mm. are important. Mm. Although it was misunderstood, you know, for reasons, you know, that not entirely blameless for the, the, the framers of that document as well, because, yeah, you know, they didn't make make clear the intent behind the document, but this is the exact type of situation that this document was crafted for. Mm. So that somebody 
they don't know the Quran, they don't know the Hadith, they, they, maybe they're not well-spoken, yeah. maybe they're not really sure all the proofs and things like that, or what language to use, what discourse to use, whatever. Mm -hmm. Here's a paper, give it to them. You know, you can say, this is what I believe, I'm not going to do anything. Yeah. Don't worry, it doesn't mean I'm going to hurt you, right? Which is some people's fear, and we try to address that in, yeah. in the document, but I'm not going to sign up. I'm not going to sign on, I'm not going to recognize, I'm not going to celebrate, I'm not going to affirm. This is beyond what I can do. Yeah. Back to the discussion about the liberal inquisition. Uh, why have other communities, you know, be it the Catholic community, yeah. the Jewish community, the Hindu community, why have they found it much more easier to embrace liberal modernity? <clears throat> mm -hmm. They've worked out, uh, I suppose, what, what Rawls calls an overlapping consensus with the mm -hmm. liberal state. Mm -hmm. uh, what is it within Islam and Muslims that pushes back uh, yeah. against this sort of liberal uh, encroachment into our lives? Yeah, yeah it's a good question. Um, first of all, there there is no overlapping consensus, uh, mm. as Rawls would have it, because that would make it seem like they were equal partners in negotiation. You know, you at a table and me at a table, mm. and we have a nice cup of chai and we yes. negotiate sort of our, you know, our, our contractual rights. And that's not descriptive of the scenario at all. Mm. The power is all with one side. There's no power on the other side, and so it's more of one side putting a gun to the other side's head and saying, if, "Well, if you want entry into this thing, this mm. is what you're going to do." Or else, it's a shakedown, mm. right? Uh, a stick up. And so, uh, what is the nature of the stick up? That's the, the secularization, right? So, all of those communities have already been secularized. Uh, you go to the Catholic Church, you look at Vatican II in the 60s, and it is a complete unmooring uh, and abandonment of traditional principles, traditional epistemology, even. So, then, you know, everything else downstream now is just real politic. Now it's just adjusting to, okay. This, so society now is about love and, and tolerance and et cetera. That's what we're going to be. Mm -hmm. We're going to now use that. Those are the, those are what are, are real. And now our tradition is malleable and we're going to interact with that tradition and cherry pick from that tradition and interpret that tradition in light of these unquestionable assumptions and values that modern society is having. Mm -hmm. That's what the Catholic Church is right now, right? And Protestantism had undergone that secularization process already. When it came to the 1920s and you know the the early part of the 20th century, when it came to the evangelical mainline split, right? You had a you know evolution and big bang, and these things were happening. You had a huge split in the mainline Protestant churches, um, or it happened to Protestant churches at least in the United States, um, that they basically had to de to decide: Are we going to try to cling to some sort of non-secularized part of our faith, or are we going to say, okay, white flag? Right, we give up. You're right. <laughs> Science has it. Modernity has it. You know, liberal values, and we're going to interact with our tradition again in a very selective and 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 um, not sort of subordinate way, in a sort of um, you know manipulative manipulative way, um, in order to conform with instead of traditional guidance, we're now conforming with whatever modern values and sort of trends are happening. Mm. So all these communities already went under these, for the for Jewish community, World War II, you yeah. know, out of after World War II and, you know, the Holocaust, you know, a huge number of Jews were, were atheists, mm. you know? So, you know, there's no <laughs> Rossian consensus. They've been, the faith has been beaten out of them, you know? And so they don't have, um, you know, a strong, and there's pockets of resistance, et cetera, but we're talking about the general thrust. The general thrust is that, um, things have become subordinated to the state. Interesting thing while we're on the topic is that while the evangelical sort of part or the evangelical movement sort of cleaved off from Protestantism, you know, opposed to the mainline churches, and they resisted, I think, secularization in the short term, mm. 
they capitulated in the long term right. when they got into you know their politics now or their religion is basically the politics of the state right mm. their their god is is america right at least yes. in the united states and yeah. neoconservatism and the 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 blurring of these lines to the point where you saw how they reacted to trump and trump was their savior yeah. even though he was a wicked man you yes. know an immoral yes. you know individual yes. um and so how can this te this tension be resolved or how can these two things simultaneously exist hmm. they have been secularized they didn't realize it, how it happened you know hmm. as opposed to maybe vatican ii very you know purposeful yes. um but slowly but, but surely they were overcome with political mm -hmm. you know um interests and calculations to the point where the politics became the guiding force and the tradition and the faith was not. Hmm. We're still resisting. Hmm. We're still resisting this process. And we're in a very, very crucial historical window where it's either going to make or break us. Like this, we're actually going right through now what the Protestant church went through right. um, and what the Catholics went through. And we're seeing now, um, and, and the LGBTQ thing and the, the sexuality is really sort of, you know, what really is is forcing the issue because we have people who are, identifying as Muslims who have abandoned Islam, right? Right. That are literally, they've, they've dug out and emptied Islam out from all normative and prescriptive content. Mm -hmm. And now their quote unquote Islam is only what are the modern ideologies, slogans, trends of today. Mm -hmm. If you say that Islam is mercy, then it's mercy according to the modern society. If you mm -hmm. say Islam is justice, it's justice according to the modern standard definition of justice. It's right. not we're not submitting ourselves to the tradition, we're submitting ourselves to the, the what's popular in society. Yeah. We're seeing people like that now, in large numbers. Alhamdulillah, I don't think the majority, but we're seeing people like that in large numbers. Mm -hmm. And how we navigate this window of time is going to determine probably the history of the Muslim community in the West, you know, mm -hmm. in the UK, in Europe, in the United States. How many people are we going to be able to bring back? How mm -hmm. many people are we going to be able to, you know, uh, elucidate the dynamics and what's at stake in this thing so that they are still submitting not to modern society and modern society standards, but submitting to Allah and his guidance, yeah. right? Conforming themselves with the sunnah of the Prophet and not the sunnah of mainstream society. Um, so it's it's partly just because historically we're newer, right? That's part of the reason why Islam has this sort of position. We have to learn from the mistakes that the previous communities made. We have to be aware of this process that's going on. Yeah, but. If anything is going to challenge the liberal project of secularization, then it would be Islam. Islam is the only uh, faith community, whatever you want to call it, that has the chops, that has the you know the thing in it that can actually not just resist but also respond and undermine and answer uh, the liberal project. Liberal project says autonomy, hmm. free choice, freedom, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We say submission, obedience, righteousness, piety. And the ways in which what we have in Islam is much thicker than the things that they had in Christianity or Judaism or other communities to be able to respond to that. So how much then do we contribute to the broader discussions within liberal society? Uh, we can call it post-liberalism. We yeah. can call it the polarization that exists uh, and that, that's developing. And, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, we can now see that American society is tearing itself apart, oh, right? Yeah. That some, some have argued that it's on the brink of a civil war. At least it's moving in that direction. How much can the Muslim community contribute in a positive way yes. to that debate about the future of the liberal state? Yeah, I mean, these are these are things that uh, we're discussing and arguing about every day. And different people who I respect a lot, you know, mm -hmm. have different takes on this than I do. Yeah. yeah. My, part my particular take is that 
we can participate as much as possible hmm. uh, when it comes to shaping the discourse. Because I believe that liberalism, because it is man-made, because it is based on kufr, it's based off of things that contradict Islam, hmm. it has negative, tangible negative consequences. You look at the isolation that people feel, the loneliness, the fracturing of the family, yes. the pollution of the environment. The, the, the destruction of everything that was right and holy and contributed to, you know, real good, not liberal good, but real Islamic good. Mm. Um, those are palpable things that people are actually experiencing. Right. And so what's going to step in and respond to it? Who's going to provide another way forward? I think that the Muslims are the best positioned. Even look just at the trans issue and all the stuff that's happening in schools. Mm. Who are the last people left to, to stand up and to face this? It's the Muslims, mm -hmm. right? And so I think do think we have a unique calling and a unique ability to be able to position ourselves. Does that mean that we're um, saving the liberal state? I don't know. Maybe we're we're providing a bridge to something else later on. Okay. Um, you know, I don't care about saving liberalism or the liberal state, yeah. but there are real people, human beings with lives, you know, that live under these regimes. And a long view of history tells us that things come come and go. Mm. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that in the Quran. It's like we like dawla has comes from the word it's like we're gonna like make it uh, it's almost like a carousel yeah right it's like here today gone tomorrow and so do we think that the united states of america is going to be here forever no mm. it's not mm -hmm. united united kingdom no right mm -hmm. is it always going to be a liberal state before that it was the british empire before that it was something else before mm. that it was something else right so we might be living in a period where it's transitioning to something else mm. or not maybe we're living at a plate where it's a place where it's going to take a much longer transition time. The important thing is responding in a principled way, yeah. dutifully to the society around us and trying to do the best that we can to do what pleases Allah and to bring as many people to the truth as possible. What do you think of the discussion amongst, uh, again, probably self-described modernist Muslims who argue that um, what we need is more liberalism. We need classical liberalism. We need to have. We need to go back to that light touch liberalism, mm -hmm. where the state is not an enabling state. The state does not interfere in our lives, but the state stays away, and really does allow mm -hmm. us to be autonomous human beings. And in that mm -hmm. context, we can be Muslims. There, there's several problems with that take. One of them is that it's very nostalgic, and I don't like criticizing things on terms of nostalgia because mm. the idea of nostalgia in and of itself is not problematic. Yeah. But but the particulars to this to this nostalgia are problematic, mm. which is that it's nostalgic for a time in which religious morals still uh, had a significant force within society, yeah. yet the law was hands off. So you'll find Muslims that even have this attitude towards like Iraq, like Ba'athist Iraq and stuff like that under Saddam. They'll say, you know, oh, you know, we had education, we were building things and the economy was good and, mm. and, and life was still good. We didn't have these problems. Yeah. Well, there was a way in which, you know, secular liberal states capitalized on the residual culture of, of traditional societies and whether Muslim or Christian or whatever yes. that made the outcomes for that society much better. You know, morality still existed. Okay. Um, so... There's a bit of nostalgia going on when people are looking back and saying, well, why can't we get back there? Well, the cat's out of the bag. You know, like Pandora's box has been opened and we can't easily or quickly get back to a scenario in which there's this residuous, sorry, or residual sort of, um, you know, religious culture or religious morals or things like that, yeah. you know, that's happening. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that there's other things that, you know, they would have to account for the fact, well, why did we get here? Is this something we can simply hit the rewind button? Mm -hmm. Or is this something that, this is a teleology. This is something that was um, sort of maybe not a foregone conclusion, but definitely a strong likelihood that things were going to unfold this way. That just like, you know, even back to the Greeks, you have, you know, uh, Plato and Aristotle saying that, um, you know, 
you go from a certain system to then a military state to then a, a democracy and then to tyranny. Mm. You know, like that's the, the way that things go because, you know, something sort of plants the seed for the next stage to take over. Yeah. You know, so how are you saying that we can go back to that? You know, look this at is, yeah, what people... Like Patrick Deneen's argument for yes. uh, the, the current, the modern liberal state isn't an aberration. It's actually the, the logical conclusion yes. of what liberalism and is. And I'm sympathetic to that view, and I agree right. with that view, actually. It's like you can't look at what progressives are claiming are necessary. Look at what they're claiming is harm and violence, hmm. right? They're telling us that simply not to affirm their whole conception of rights is violence on them and harm to them. Hmm. How are we going to rewind that? Yeah. We can't possibly rewind that. Like yeah. These are the, the claims and polarization and all this sort of thing is already here, right? So Instead of, it's funny, it's solely ironic that I'm making this critique because I can't stand this critique, you know, as, uh, you know, in every situation. But in this situation, it fits. Like, we have to think about, it's, uh, how are we going to go forward, right? Mm -hmm. How are we going to, how are we going to solve the issues of society now? Mm -hmm. And we can't simply do it, let's say this, in order to do it by quote unquote, rewinding to this time of period where government was more hands off and we still had this residual, yeah. uh, you know, religious reality, we would have to be in a situation that preceded that situation, mm -hmm. right? Um, where we had centuries of strong religious rule, like structural religious involvement in, yeah. in government and in things like that. And then the sort of initial stages of a secularization pro pro uh, process, excuse me, where, you know, the government starts to be hands off and they're tinkering with What's the lowest common denominator that we can all agree upon and, and, and you know, supposedly sort of protect everybody's rights? Mm -hmm. We're way past that, right? And it, it's not clear to me that that's something that can be reversed, uh, at least without, again, going back to the period that directly preceded that. Can I ask you about your work with the Yakin Institute? Yes. Now, Yakin has a, a mission to address the doubts that have seeped into the Muslim community. Well, mm -hmm. From our discussion today, it seems to me the elephant in the room is liberalism. Liberalism is probably sure. the major cause, the major impediment uh, that uh, contributes to a Muslim uh, becoming less faithful, becoming less inclined towards Islam. Uh, I don't really see, and maybe I haven't, you know, I haven't searched uh, hard enough, but I don't see an emphasis on debating and discussing the ideas of liberalism in the way you've done today, in a courteous way, in a way oh, in sure. which you you know, you, you elucidate its values and ideas, but you do it in a forthright way. Um, is that a discussion you're having within Yaki? Oh, certainly. And, and, and everybody needs to do more. And mm. there's, there's certain, there's several reasons for this. Um, mm. So, you know, Yaqeen is doing a great job, mm. alhamdulillah, yeah. but it can be doing way more and it has to be doing way more. Mm. Um, if you compare Yaqeen Institute 2023 to Yaqeen Institute, you know, uh, 2019 or 2018, big difference. Okay. okay? Um, even the people that are involved, Big difference in the people that are involved. A lot of really important changes have been made, and I've I've addressed this elsewhere for people who are interested. Right. But um, you're right. There is a paucity of taking liberalism head on, mm -hmm. and there are reasons for that. Some of them are just bandwidth issues. Like I have a lot of stuff that I have to do, <laughs> so it's, like people need to have the time you know to get around to it. Yeah. But more important than that are you have many people who have internalized parts of liberalism, mm -hmm. if not all of liberalism, mm -hmm. and aren't aware of it. Mm -hmm. Okay especially Islamic studies departments, Western academic institutions, things like this. Yes. People study and they, they get degrees and no one is telling them the ways in which liberal values have shaped their education. Yes. Nobody is telling them the ways in which liberalism actually affects the way that they interact with Islam hmm. and the way in which they mine Islam for certain sort of 
evidences or outcomes and then deploy them mm -hmm. in sort of, you know, the, the most obvious sort of situations when people are trying to demonstrate that Islam is compatible with modernity or compatible with liberalism or stuff like that, mm -hmm. right? So there's a lack of self-awareness and there's a lack of a genealogy, what Foucault and, and his ilk would call a genealogy of this intellectual history, mm. see where it's come from, et cetera, et cetera. But even before that, there's a paucity of Muslims that are doing social sciences mm. and humanities, yes. right? We have, I call it the holy trinity yeah. of doctor, lawyer, engineer. Yeah. If, if we're putting everybody into these three fields, you know, I'm the only one I know. You just told me about somebody else, you know, yeah. the, maybe the first other person I know who has a background in political theory and then went and did traditional studies, yeah. right? We This is why we need people like this yeah. with this training yeah. to be able to put one and two together, to be able to look critically at these structures yeah. from an Islamic worldview perspective, right? And to be able to break them down and to be able to explain to people, right? And that's the other thing too. There are There are some people who have those credentials and abilities but then being able to explain it to people is a whole other thing, Absolutely. right? And being able to communicate it, there's a lot of jargon involved. Mm. A lot of the Western Academy is predicated upon this exclusivity of knowledge where you're building up your jargon so that other people can understand. Mm. You put up the paywall, you know? So that's in order to exclusivity, it's like the diamond trade, right? It's just mm. about trying to add that value, right? Um, we need more propagandists. We need more people that are going to be able to explain it to the man on the street. What's wrong with liberalism? What's wrong with autonomy? What's wrong with free choice? Yes. Why can't, why is my hijab my choice a stupid thing to say, right? right? Or, or unless, okay, we don't want to be uh, derogatory or mocking, but like a problematic and insufficient thing to say. Yeah. Actually something that actually undermines Islam yeah. as opposed to something that strengthens it, uh, despite what people think about it. Mm. So all of these things and more contribute. Um, mm. And, you know, Yaqeen is like any other, you know, organization that, that needs to go through this process mm. when it comes to the personnel, attracting personnel and producing work that's going to take this on. And that's partly why they brought me on. <laughs> it's like to, to deal with these things in a more forthright way. So when it comes to tackling liberalism, we have our own podcast now, Dogma Disrupted, that is taking those things head on. Uh, there's going to be a short video series called Think Again that's mm. going to be more incisive, mm. three to eight minute videos that mm. are going to really confront uh, some of these things, liberalism and otherwise, um, sort of the undergirding ideas of, of these things. Mm. Um, but we need to have more papers. We need to have more people. We need to have more. You're 100% right. And that's in progress. You're, you're yes. working on it. Okay, very yes. good. Excellent. So one last question for you. Uh, and really, it's a question about the future of Muslims in the West. As the liberal state becomes more and more assertive, can we really be Muslims living under a liberal state? I mean, again, because liberalism is such sort of a broad ideology, there is space to maneuver. Mm. Okay. And the irony of all ironies historically right now is that there's more space to maneuver in Western lands often than there is in the post-colonial states within the Muslim world. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, a lot of people misinterpret that fact and they say, well, look, liberalism is so great, secularism is so great. Mm. Uh, no, it's actually not attributable to secularism or liberalism that we have that, that freedom. Mm. You destabilize Muslim states. Yeah. You're the ones that Im impose these autocrats. Yeah. You're the ones that keep them, you know, and, and punish them or reward them with military aid and other sorts of aid and yeah. political recognition and things like that. You know, you're the ones that took away what we had that opposed liberalism and was way better than liberalism in the first place, you know, but we are where we are. And so we have these kind of, you know, Frankenstein states in, the, in across the Muslim world that are extremely autocratic, extremely modern, right? Uh, deep tentacles into society, centralized, hmm. controlling education, controlling the ulama, all the stuff that is very, very anti-Islamic. And there is a strain of liberalism or a substrain of liberalism um, that gives us a little bit of room to maneuver, mm. right? In 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 the West, uh, some places more than others. Okay, uh, United States more than France. Yes, right. Depending on again the various sort of sub traditions within liberalism, or what type of good is being emphasized, mm. or which which 
um, you know, uh, tangible goods that they seek to deliver that, that the, the state decides that they're going to emphasize. Yes. While we have that opportunity, there's room to maneuver. Yes, we can. We have the freedom to establish institutions. We have the freedom to establish a waqf, right? A, a religious endowment mm. that we don't have in the Muslim world mm -hmm. uh, in, in many places. We can establish an Islamic school, a private school that teaches all of what we want to teach, mm. right? We have the ability to do that. We have the freedom to do that. Uh, that we don't necessarily have. You can't just go to to other places in the Muslim world and start up your own school and then yeah. et cetera. So we have enough space to maneuver to establish ourselves in a very important and structural way. Yeah. The the kicker is that we're not taking advantage of it, right? We're concerned with the wrong things. We're looking to exercise the wrong rights. We're looking to capitalize on just the 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 materialistic aspects of living in the West and you know, having brand name clothing and, you know, more shoes than you know what to do with and a huge house in the suburbs and things like that. And we have completely neglected the responsibility of establishing independent Muslim scholarship, mm -hmm. right? Can you imagine, you know, all of these sort of universities and, and medrasas and things that are under strict government control, mm -hmm. like throughout the Muslim world, yes. we actually have the ability to make religious endowments, double blind donations, whatever we have to do to fund indigenous Muslim scholarship that is not controlled by any state interests. Mm. We have the ability to do that. Yes. And we haven't done it yet. Okay, we've only been at it for a little bit, but it's like, this is what has to be on our radar. Like, we actually have the ability to do this thing. You know, we have certain tools when it comes to governance that, you know, if you look at places like Michigan or places that have, um, you know, Dearborn, et cetera, places that have, um, you know, a critical mass of Muslim population, mm. you have the ability to uh, control the school board. You have the ability to run for office and get elected and not have to compromise, right? And we're talking local level because mm -hmm. once you get at this level where we're at, once you get, you know, more national, it becomes too problematic. You have to compromise. Yes. But we have enough room to maneuver. Our question is, are we using it in the right way? And that's a matter of sincerity. That's a matter of priorities. And unfortunately, we're not passing yet. And I hope, inshallah, that we turn it around and that we're able to use the space that's provided to us by the societies that we live in in order to establish Islam in a meaningful way, in a way that's going to survive mm. liberalism and live past it. And the modern state and whatever, wherever we're at now, when mm. the UK becomes something else, the United mm. States of America becomes something else, as it inevitably will. Mm. This is not like, no one's calling for revolution, yeah. but it's just history, as yeah. it inevitably will. Yeah. We want to have the institutions in place that are going to survive that. Imam Fakini, it's been a pleasure really speaking to you today. It's been an interesting discussion. Jazakallah khair for your time. I mean, welcome. Thank you so much again. Please remember to subscribe to our social media and YouTube channels and head over to our website thinkinmuslim.com to sign up to my weekly newsletter. Jazakallah khair. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 